But uh, Galatians chapter 4 this morning, starting with verse 1, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, and let me also say daughters, because it's implied. Verse 6, and because you are sons or daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Jesus, we ask again that your spirit would speak now through your word, speak to every heart, exactly what we need this morning. Lord, remove me from the equation in any way, shape, or form that you and you alone may be heard and glorified. In your name I pray, amen. Quick story, a wealthy and powerful king traveled to a distant country. And while he was there in this distant country, he asked the local authorities if he could visit an orphanage. He said that he was interested in adopting. He was told that there was only one orphanage. It was outside the city. It had more than 250 children who were considered the outcast of that society. They were poor. They were unwanted. And they were, considered a, they were considered cursed by the rest of the country. Some were born to prostitutes. Some had lost both parents to death. Many had never met their fathers. As the king walked through the orphanage, looking at the potential candidates for adoption, he saw child after child that was sick, that was lame, that was diseased, that was malnourished, that was lonely, And all had an expression of hopelessness on their face. The king had instructed his servants who were traveling with him that whoever he chose to adopt would immediately become an heir, an equal to the king's own children, and that no expense would be spared to ensure proper medical attention, any required surgeries, nutrition, and education. Upon completion of the tour of the orphanage, the administrator of the orphanage asked the king, which child he wished to adopt. The king responded immediately, all of them. This is what God the Father did for us. All of us. Not just one of us, not a few of us, but each and every single one of us saved by his grace. Jesus said in John 17, 11, Father, keep them through your name, whom you have given to me. Did you realize the Father gave to Jesus each and every person that's been saved? If God is your Father, you have become an adopted son or daughter, not through a financial transaction that some king paid, no, but through the life and the blood of God's only begotten Son. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Adopted by God. 
What a great thing. Amen? To be adopted by God. Not just the king of a country, but the king of the universe. The king who spoke it all in existence. Yesterday we were doing a, a family devotion at the table. Uh, yesterday morning, what a nice day to do. It's pouring and raining outside. You don't have to rush off. And we're just talking about, you know, when God does things, do you know he just speaks them? You and I, we have to work. I was, it was raining, so I got to work on tile grout around the tub. It's exciting. I'm chilling away trying to get this, uh, something I should have done two years ago or something. And like God, when he does, he just speaks it into existence. He just says, it's done. He just says, I will send my son, and it will be, as Jesus at the end, finished. Whatever he says happens. Whatever he says comes true. And if he says that he desires to adopt people that are the outcasts of society, he'll do exactly what he says. He doesn't need money. He has the authority of all the universe to complete any mission. We want to look this morning at this text, uh, what Paul writes of here. And he, speaking of the impact of those that were under the law versus now under the age of grace. Of course, we talked about in previous weeks that this age of grace began when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And we've, we've been ushered in to this time of grace that we're no longer under the law. But we want to look this morning uh, at a couple of things from the text. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is got what I've titled God's children. We'll look at three things this morning. God's children. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not di- verse 1, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. He goes on to say that we were adopted as sons, that we are sons, that we've become heirs. The first thing I want to say about the children, or God's children, is that to take a look back, when God was redeeming mankind, it, well before the cross, you could be saved. Would you agree that Abraham has already come to faith well before the cross? Well, of course, because Paul talks about Abraham in the third chapter. He said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, Abraham believed in the payment of Jesus that would be made. We believe in the payment that has been made. But remember, whatever God says will happen, will happen. So it's as good as done if Jesus, if God says, I'm going to send my son, he's slain before the foundation of the earth, he will conquer sin, death, hell. It's as good as done. So Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Daniel, they believed in the finished work to come. We believe in the finished work that we now know was completed there at Calvary. But still, he speaks here about the difference of those that were under, that were still the children of God. They were still the children of God, but they were under the law. So think of like a Daniel, right? Or an Elisha, or a Joshua. They were children of God, but they were under the law. Christ had not come. He had not ascended back into heaven. He hadn't sent forth the Holy Spirit, which we'll see here as well. So these children under the law, they had a different experience 
though when, he- when we get to heaven, we'll all have the same experience. It'll be one family table. There'll be no different experience. Once we get to heaven, there'll be no difference of those that were under the law and those that are under the age of grace. And even before the law, there was a different dispensation. Before the law, that would be people like Abraham. Abraham was before the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. Enoch, remember, he walked up into heaven with God. He was before the law, different dispensation. We call that the pre-Noahic time period, the pre-flood period. And after the flood, the law wasn't given until Moses comes. But under the law, think about it like this. He talks about the fact that, that a child isn't any different than a slave when they're in the child. So if you're royalty, think about a royal family. Uh, in the royal family, you ever seen the pictures of like royal uh, families and there'll be like uh, a little child dressed uh, in this ornate outfit and there'll be some servant holding the child or giving them a bath or something like that. And so uh, in many respects, the servant and the child, they kind of operate in the same world of playing. They're not hanging out with the king. They're kind of all, you ever seen these movies where the child is in the, in the kitchen talking to the, the people who are cooking and stuff like that, and they're kind of all in the same world, and he's speaking of this. He says, um, the child, as long as he is child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, though he's actually an heir. How many times when you were kids, especially um, in the old school days, the pre-80s is what I call old school days. I, I, I was a kid in the 70s. How many got this answer from your parents? You used to love to get this answer. You'd ask a question, they, and you'd say why, and they'd say, because I said so. And I would be like, what kind of answer is that? It doesn't give me any of the details. Because I said so. Because I like, I wanted a little bit more than that. But I rarely got more than that. By the way, presumably your parents don't speak to you now that way as adults. I hope they don't still just say, because I said so. But that's much like it was living under the law. Think about it. Living under the law, the law was firm and straight to the point. It was, thou shalt not. There's no explanation. It's just, thou shalt not. That was the law. Yes, God still displayed mercy. Yes, he still displayed love. Yes, he still displayed grace. But the law was given, as Paul expressed in verse 24 of chapter 3, as a tutor. A tutor. The children of Israel, they received the law through a mediator. Remember, the angels were mediators to Moses, and then Moses was a mediator to the people. They actually had a couple of levels of mediation there. Angels, then Moses, then them. The law, think about the other mediators in the Old Testament or in the, uh, the period under the law. You had the law itself, you had the prophets and the priest, and they all, the prophets, the priest, and the law, they were stewards and guardians. This is what Paul is speaking of in verse 2, but under guardians and stewards until the appointed time. So the prophets, the law, the priest, all under the Mosaic period, they were the stewards to actually guard the childlike relationship that those that were in faith had with God. And just like in the home of a king, his children are still heirs. No, no one disputes that the children of the king are heirs. But his children, 
they understand less than the slaves and the servants. Because they just have a child. A two-year-old does not know what a 40-year-old servant knows. That's what Paul's saying. In one sense, they're heirs. Under the law, if you go back in time, someone that was born in Jerusalem under the law, they might have been put their faith in God and they were saved, but they still had a lot of missing information is what Paul was saying here. They still were like, like a two-year-old not quite understanding what was going on. The child and the, uh, the king's children, they're put to bed by the servants. They're taught by the servants. They're fed by the servants. They're prepared by the king's servants. The servants know more of the king's actions and more about the king's priorities than the young children of the king would know. This is what Paul was saying. This is a, a picture of what it was like being under the law. Those who by faith believe the promises of God under the law, as we mentioned, they're saved. They were heirs of eternal life. But like a child, they were kind of still sitting at the kid table. Did you ever have to sit at the kid table at Thanksgiving? I hated the kid table. It was not an honor to sit over at the kid table. I thought the bigger, better conversations were happening about 10 feet away at the other table which looked like a real table, and the kid table was like a card table (laughs) with another table attached to it that looked nothing like the card table. And if it was a big enough event, there was a third table attached to that table, which could have been the outdoor table. And there was lawn chairs, and there was broken chairs, and the adults were over there laughing about something, and you're with your cousin that you couldn't stand, right? Right? But all this is going on at the kid table. But you're still an heir to your parents. And someday you'll get to sit at the adult table. And you still belong to your parents. And this is by being born under the law. God's like, eventually you won't be there. Eventually I'm going to make, there's just going to be one huge table. And everybody's going to be at it. But until Christ comes, those that were under the law, they were still God's children. But they were, again, some of the things that, they would experience, that we would experience after Christ are different. Peter writes in 1 Peter uh, 1.10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Peter's saying the prophets searched these things. They knew that the age of grace was coming. They knew that something better than the old covenant was coming. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus says that he mentions this new covenant of my blood. A better covenant. A better covenant than trying to keep the law. God did some special amazing things with Old Testament prophets, didn't he? You look at the stories of Moses or David, Elijah and Daniel. They were all prophets that pointed to the coming of God, the coming of God in the form of Jesus the Messiah. But much of what we see and understand today was veiled during those times. Things were veiled. Moses was a foreshadow of Jesus, but he was not Jesus. He was a foreshadow of the mediator, but he's not the mediator that we have, Jesus, our mediator, into the heaven, into the throne room of God. See, Christ came personally and physically to proclaim and explain the gospel, which was himself. 
He said he was the manna that came down out of heaven. They understood what manna was, but they didn't realize that manna was just a picture of the bread that would come down out of heaven. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The bread come down out of heaven. Jesus came and he, he upheld the law, and then he offered himself in a personal relationship to all who would call upon his name. Now let's take a little shift and look at, so we kind of understand, as best as I can explain, under the law, the kid table, if you will, not fully understanding all the details, but still being a child of the king, still being an heir. Now there's this age of grace that we're in today, post-ascension, post-resurrection. Think about our relationship with Christ today and what has been revealed to us versus what was revealed under the law. By the revelation of Jesus, by the fact that he has come, he has walked the earth, he performed the miracles, he taught, he raised the dead, but then he rose himself from the dead after suffering and died on the cross. We now understand what Isaiah chapter 9 means, right? That the government will be upon his shoulders. We now understand what Psalm 22 means, that he was pierced for our transgressions. We understand Isaiah 53 now, that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. We understand that he is, as John said, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. We don't need a high priest anymore to enter into the Holy of Holies. Thank the Lord for that, because there's not even a temple. Do you realize if we needed that, we would be in dire straits? There is no temple on earth. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. It has not been rebuilt. Why was the temple destroyed? Well, it was destroyed because of sin, but God was replacing the physical temple with the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. We've been made kings and priests to enter into the throne of grace. Boldly, the Bible even says. So A, there's no temple, but B, we've been given this access to the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, and he himself is our high priest. Every son and daughter of Christ is a full heir now. And under the law, the heirs were the firstborn. It was a bum deal when you weren't the firstborn. You still got inheritance, but not the firstborn inheritance. The firstborn inheritance was much greater. Jesus is the firstfruits, the firstborn from the dead, but he's made all of us, remember my little story about the king said, I want to adopt them all? When Jesus adopts everyone in the orphanage, they all become firstborn. And say, well, you know what, there's 250 kids. One of you is getting a firstborn inheritance. The other 249 of you are getting a much smaller portion. But that's the way it was in the ancient Middle East cultures of firstborn. And that's the way it was under the law. We all can be firstborn. We're all firstborn sons and daughters. We have now the entirety of Scripture. Do you realize that under the law, they had Genesis through Malachi, But Matthew through Revelation had not yet been written. Matter of fact, that was not written until, we don't know the exact amount of time, until after Jesus had been taken back into heaven. But 50, 80 years, we don't know the exact numbers, there's some debate. But once the full canon of Scripture had been bound, Genesis all the way through Revelation, it's the epistles and the gospels that tell us the whole story. 
we see the complete picture. Now, there's things that we still don't see and understand. Be clear, some of those things, there's many mysteries yet that won't be revealed into heaven. But we know a lot more than if we were two. Now that, let's say, we're, spiritually speaking, 28. But part of that came with just, not just our spiritual maturity, part of that came with just the fact that Jesus gave us the new revelation, which we call the New Testament, that actually the New Testament, one of its uh, ways, one of the ways to look at the New Testament, one of the things that I describe it as, and many others do, the New Testament is the best Bible commentary on the Old Testament. Say, man, I want a really good commentary on the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. Remember how, you notice how many times that Paul refers back to things that are under the law. He refers back to Abraham, refers back to the period under the law. That which is veiled in the old covenant is revealed in the new. The new covenant shines light on the beauty and the types of the Old Testament. Now we can see because Jesus tells us we understand what manna meant. Do you realize if Jesus didn't teach on manna, we would still think it was only angel food that came down into the desert? Which, by the way, when I was a kid, I thought was little white donuts. That's what I thought. <laughs> I heard it described in Sunday school. They said it was white and round. First thing in my mind, I'm not kidding about this. I was like, five. Has to be white powdered donuts. The little 16 bags everywhere, <laughs> all over the desert. In my mind, it was a desert full of little 16 bags everywhere that God had given. Because... I had no concept that that's not good for you or anything else. (laughs) Manna, though, just like Jesus, is good for everything that ails us. Manna was, it was was perfect food. And amazingly enough, they ended up complaining about it. Just like people complain about things Jesus would have them do in their life. But the new covenant shines light and beauty on all these Old Testament types. So we see that God's children... Under law, they were still his children. Under grace, they're still his children. But under grace, there is kind of, if you could say, there's a magnified understanding of the relationship. Does that make sense? That some of the curtain has been pulled back, and we see what God had in the original design there of Adam and Eve in the garden for our relationship. Now, the next thing we want to look at, if you're taking notes... It starts, in, uh, it starts in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sent son. We looked first at God's children, which if you've given your life to Christ, you are. God sent son, but, every time you see a but in the Bible, it's a good thing. Well, not always a good thing, I shouldn't say. It's a lot of times a good thing. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Paul enumerates here six things, and I'll I'll put them up on the screen for you here. Six things. The first came in the fullness of time. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it said, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. When Jesus came, he proclaimed that the time had been fulfilled. The fullness of time. Now, we don't know how God determines what the fullness of time would be. Now, Daniel had prophesied in 70 weeks 
uh, of the coming of Messiah, even prophesied um, of his death and he'd be cut off. But we see all throughout scriptures the prophecies of Jesus, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be born to a virgin, that these things would take place. And remember when Jesus uh, came, there was people that were waiting for him to come. Simeon, for example, waiting there in the temple to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Then he was ready to die, but he had to first see the Messiah. He knew he was coming. And so Paul is reiterating what Jesus himself said, that the time had been fulfilled. God determined what the time was. And by the way, in your life, God has a fulfilled amount of days for you and me, doesn't he? There's things that there's a fullness of time. You may be going through a season in your life right now. There's a fullness of time in that season. There may be a fullness of time of something God wants you to go through, something he wants you to experience, something he wants you to learn from. And by the way, sometimes if we won't learn the lesson, that fullness of time will keep being there. But this was a beautiful thing that the, all that the prophets, all that the uh, scriptures had said would come to pass, people waited. And when the time was come, God says that, a light dawned in the darkness. And this was Jesus. It's John chapter 1. He was that light that dawned in the darkness. So the fullness of time had to be completed. Second, the fullness of time that he, God sent forth his son. The world needs to know that Jesus is not just any other man. Muhammad had an earthly father and an earthly mother. Jesus only had an earthly mother. God himself, by the Holy Spirit, placed him into the world. He was not like any other man. He was 100% man, 100% God. John 3.16, you all know it, for God so loved the world that he what? Sent his only begotten son. He sent Jesus, and Jesus was completely willing to come. You know, the, the king that would go and visit the orphanage, looking to adopt, not telling anyone that he's going to adopt everyone there. He willingly comes in that scenario with the money and the resources to adopt all those kids. Jesus willingly comes and knows it's going to cost him everything. But he came. He was sent by the Father. The third thing, he was sent by the Father. Paul enumerates that born of a woman, Born of a woman. Notice it doesn't say born to a woman and a man. Sorry, Joseph does not get a mention here. Joseph raised Jesus as his own, but Mary, she had no relationship with Joseph. She had never been with a man. The Holy Spirit placed the Lord Jesus in her supernaturally, which is, by the way, when people have a hard time with that, I'm like, um, I like what Billy Graham said years ago. He said, if you don't have a problem with Genesis 1-1, you're not going to have a problem with the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God, right? If God can speak, have you ever seen how big the universe is? It boggles the mind. If God can speak the universe, it's not a hard thing for God to say, and by the way, my son will be in her. Now, all of those are hard for us. I can't even cure the common cold. When I try everything, you know, coldies and this and that, you know, nothing works. God says the word and it's done. So virgin birth, not a hard thing for God, but yet 
If you don't believe what God says, you're going to have a hard time believing the gospel. So he sent forth his son, born of a woman. Isaiah 9, 6, this was prophesied. For unto us a child is born. Isn't it amazing that God would come forth, but he'd have to start like a little baby. What a humble man Jesus was. No Roman ruler would want to start like that. You know Jesus returns the second time as a king on a white horse? That's the way I would want to come the first time. How about you? I wouldn't want to come as a baby in a straw manger, but Jesus did. Born of a woman. Fourth thing Paul enumerates here. Born of a woman, born under the law. Remember that the age of law was still in place until Jesus completed the work of the cross and the resurrection. We know that, back back at uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 9. What purpose did the law serve? Uh, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 3, verse 19. Look down in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose did the law serve? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come. The law was an until thing. Started with Moses, and it finished with Jesus. It was the age of law during that time period. Born under the law, Luke 2.22. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Even Mary, uh, the days of purification, each thing that was under the law, Jesus, from the time he was a baby, everything had to be completed, every jot and tittle according to the law. He kept the law to perfection. He was the only one that ever kept the law to perfection. Not the, not the man-made laws that rabbis came up with to put people in bondage. He kept all of the God-given law. In other words, he never broke a single one of the Ten Commandments. He never broke any of the commandments that were actually built upon the Ten Commandments. There was never a time that he had even the slightest of sin. But under the law, he kept it to perfection that he could redeem the rest of us who could never keep the law. So he's born under the law. The fifth thing he says, verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law. Now, to redeem those under the law, in a sense, is all of us. We're not under the Old Testament. Like In other words, when we come to Christ and we give our lives to Jesus through faith, asking to be our Lord and Savior, we're no longer under the law. So things like Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, dietary laws, all of those things, we're not under those requirements. However, though we aren't under the requirements, we are all saved from the law of the Ten Commandments, which we all have violated. Amen? Everyone's told a lie. Everyone's used God's name in vain. If anyone tells you they haven't, trust me, they have. Right? Everything in the law. The Bible says if we've broken one commandment, we're guilty of breaking all the commandments. So we all are violators of the law. But not only did, did Jesus save us in any time period, before or after the cross, from the condemnation of the law, but also those from keeping every aspect of the law. This is why Paul went and told the Galatians, you don't, have to, you don't have to become Jewish and start acting like you have to do everything that you saw in the Old Testament. Paul said, I became like you. We're going to see this. I became like you. You need to become free in Christ. 
John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from the curse of the law that we could never keep. Acts 20.28, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The church or the family, the sons and daughters which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus came to redeem sinners because of his sinless life, because of his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And then the last thing he says, redeem those under the law, that we might become adopted, as son, or the adoption of sons. Secured adoption into the family of God for all who believe. We have a secured adoption. All of this through God's sent son. Matthew Henry said, we who by nature are children of wrath and disobedience have become children of grace uh, are become by grace children of love. We become by grace children of love. We were children of wrath before. The Bible says that we were all children of wrath. John 1, I love John 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave to be, uh, the right to become the children of God, to those that what? Believe on his name, who were not born of blood, nor the will of man, nor of the flesh, nor the will, uh, but of God. Not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How does that happen? By believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouth that God has raised him from the dead. As many as have received him, he's given the right. We didn't have any right. By the way, when people walk around talking about their rights, we don't have any rights unless God gives us a right. And here he says, who God gave us the right to become the sons of God. No one could ever stick out there just as, I've done enough to, be, to warrant being a son or daughter of God. No. Only believing on the name of Jesus can we be secured into the family of God. You may be sitting here this morning and you may have had, or may even still have, a difficult or non-existent relationship with your earthly father. And I'm sure in a room this size, there's people in here that have not a great relationship with their earthly father or really don't have much of any relationship with their earthly father. I'm talking about fathers that are still alive, not ones that have passed on. You may have little or very awkward communication with your earthly father. And that is very common, is it not? Do you know how common it is? It's the last verse of the entire Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, it says, and God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. When you see how messed up the relationships are in America with kids and their dads, know that God prophesied of it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. You may have that kind of relationship, which isn't much of a relationship at all. But your heavenly father, if you have God as your father, you've been saved, through the adoption secured by Jesus, let it be understood that God is determined to be to you a father. You will have a father-son or father-daughter relationship that meets your every single need. And it won't be awkward. It will be wonderful that people don't have Charles H. Spurgeon said, He who counts the stars and calls them by name is in no danger of forgetting his own children. 
He knows your case as thoroughly as if you were the only creature he ever made or the only saint he ever loved. And that's true. He wants to adopt us into a relationship that far exceeds anything we could comprehend and far exceeds any relationship we have with our earthly father. The last thing as we come to a close here, God sent spirit, verse 6 and 7, and because you are sons, and because... Once this has been established, now you know you're a son or daughter. God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's kind of a crying out in relationship. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir through God and Christ. Jesus promised his Holy Spirit, and oh, how we need it. Amen? Our spirit needs the Spirit of God to flow through it. Our spirit is quite tainted. Our spirit is quite cynical. Our spirit is quite obnoxious, right? Difficult, unbelieving. But God gives us his Holy Spirit to kind of continually refresh us. Jesus said, out of you would flow rivers of living water. You ever notice that when actually fresh water is flowing, it actually gets all the bad stuff out? That's what the Holy Spirit was come to do, to constantly refresh us. You know, you, you have to take more than one shower in life, right? I hope. But the Holy Spirit, it's like this constant shower, if you will, constantly cleaning, constantly showing, and not just showing it, but removing the things that would otherwise hinder that relationship that we have with God. In Romans 8.15, it says, For you did not, Paul wrote this as well, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Same word again. Father. You thought Abba was just uh, that band in the 70s or something, right? But no. It's relationship. It's not a fear. Paul said, not a bondage of fear. You know, a lot of people have, they have fear with their earthly fathers. You know, there's people that are abused that are petrified of their father. Paul said, you didn't have, this is not the relationship you have with God. You'll actually have a loving one. He'll put his arm around you. You'll have the kind of relationship that builds confidence, that builds trust, that you actually can learn to love people the way God loved the world. As his sons and daughters, he connects us to himself through his son and through his Holy Spirit. Colin Urquhart said, the Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. He is God. The word Emmanuel means what? God with us. The Holy Spirit is not just with us, he is in us. In the Old Testament, most of the time, there was times when the Holy Spirit came upon men, and there was even times that the Holy Spirit came into men and women in the Old Testament. So don't let anyone ever tell you, the first time the Holy Spirit ever entered a person was after Jesus. No, we can see it in the Old Testament too. But the norm was the Holy Spirit was in the presence of people, not indwelling. The New Covenant, the Holy Spirit comes into all who believe in the name of Jesus. He comes in to reside. And that's what keeps us pure, running the race, going forward in faith. Samuel Chadwick said, spirit-filled souls are ablaze for God. They, they love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a, um, 
devotion that consumes. They hate sin with a fierceness that burns. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. Love is perfected in the fire of God. I don't have the capacity to have a fire and a zeal for God in me except by the Holy Spirit keeping the flame ablaze. Nor do you. You could never say, that's it, I'm going to be the best Christian for the rest of my life because I made a New Year's resolution. You'll fail three days later, if not three minutes later. Right? That's why Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, and he will. You're going to fall, you're going to deny me three times. But once I send the Holy Spirit, you're going to finally be able, you know, still skin your knees, but the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps the fire going. They always had to keep the fire going there in the temple. The fire had to stay lit. Well, the Holy Spirit lights that fire so we don't return to the world anymore. We don't go back to the orphanage because we now live in the house of the king. Who would want to go back to the orphanage, by the way? Unless it's to adopt other kids. We'll get to that in the closing. See, God did not just rescue us and adopt us, but he promised to transform us and to use us in the lives of other people. We are adopted to go find the others that need the same thing. He adopted us to place his thoughts in us, to place his spirit in us, to place his love in us, to place his joy as a down payment. Understand this. What he's given us today is just a down payment on the future of being perfected and never again experiencing disease or anxiety or fear or stress or death or cancer or anything else. Right now is a down payment on what's to come. Amen? Amen. Isn't that great to know? It's just a down payment, but it's a great down payment. It's not like on, uh, what is it, uh, layaway, where you might be able to pay it off. No, it's done. (laughs) Brother and sister, God the Father sent his son as king, willing and able to adopt us, willing and able to die for our adoption, willing and able to give us his own spirit. We were more hopeless than any child in an orphanage. You may not realize that, but you were. You were more hopeless than any child in an orphanage as our fate was not just a miserable life. Our fate was eternity in hell. That was our fate. And yet, if God is now indeed your father, you've been pulled out of your impossible situation and you're now an heir to his glory and his eternal favor. And as we close this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit lets this sink deep into your heart and my heart, that it sinks deep into our hearts that we understand that God has adopted us to be his children, that it would lift your mind and your spirit beyond what you see, and that you would have the eyes and ears and heart of Jesus, that you would go out and find the other orphans who God also wants to adopt. That's the only reason we're still here, folks. The team that's going to Bonaire tonight, they're not be going because there's not more fun things they could be doing tonight. They're going because Jesus so loved the world, right? That he says, I've got other kids I want to adopt. I just didn't adopt you. Those 250, I want it to be 250,000. 2.5 million. 2.5 billion. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we can call you Father as you 
by your own son, when you taught the disciples how to pray, you said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And Lord, we call you Father because you sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, who shed his blood to purchase us. We were hopeless orphans. We were sick. We were diseased. We were in sin. And yet you said, I want to purchase that one, that one, that one, that one, each and every one. And we're thankful, Lord, that if we've been saved, that you opened our eyes to our condition and you've made us sons, daughters, and heirs. And we look forward to sitting at the table with all the saints of old someday in glory. But until then, Lord, we thank you that you've given us your spirit to stay faithful to the end to finish our race in the court, and, Lord, to find the other orphans that you've sent us out in the highways and the hedges to reach. And so, Lord, we, can, we just simply say thank you. And, Lord, let it sink deep into us that we understand the gravity of your love for us. We deliver from the law that we can never keep and from, Lord, just the systematic things that were impossible even for the Old Testament saints to keep. Thank you for your grace. Before we close this morning, though, if there's anyone here and you say, I don't even know how I got here today. Well, I know I, know I drove here or someone drove me here, but I don't, I don't know what motivated me to get here today. If you don't know God as your Father, if you've never been saved, you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I can tell you how you got here. The Holy Spirit directed you here.